decree of God, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're concluding Mark chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to look at particularly verses 40 uh, through verse 40. Five, and just to give you a brief, uh, just textual background, and I would encourage you to do this when you have time, but um, or, or do this this afternoon, perhaps. But uh, reading through just a few chapters uh, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter five, Leviticus chapter thirteen, and Leviticus chapter fourteen um, paints for us the uh, the context and the background of this particular passage. And so while I'm not going to read uh, those chapters, I'll read a segment out of chapter 5 in just a moment, but uh, those, those would um, that is what frames up for us this encounter, the leper with uh, Christ Jesus. And so just for better understanding, I would encourage you to read that. But I'm going to read these five verses here, the conclusion of chapter 1, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will work through it together based on the uh, takeaways that are in your worship, God, and so don't um, stress about jotting down the, um, the, uh, the, the takeaways before they move off of the screen. They're in your, uh, your worship, God. But this is John Mark, under the inspiration of the Spirit, recounting for us the um, Christ and the leper. Now a leper came to him, came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and he began to proclaim it freely and it spread the matter and, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? God, we thank you. For this opportunity to be able to open your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would again help us to apply it, to be shaped by it. And God, that as a result, we would be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. So, we... We come to the end of chapter 1, right? Last week we, we spent a lot of time in, in Peter's house, and now we're out of Peter's house, and we're into other parts of, of Galilee as the news of Christ and his person, and particularly his miracles, uh, in, including the exercising of demons that's, that has spread, and he's gained um, popularity, as, as we've seen in this kind of rapid-fire approach that John Mark has to recounting um, the, just the person and works of Christ. And as I said last week, we, we could have included 
this encounter, Jesus with the leper, we could have included this as a fourth scene in our text. But the more that I I thought through this particular text, it seemed uh, better to separate these five verses because there there was more than what we had time to look at um, in 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 just these these short few verses here. And so we what we see is is, is a man who approaches Jesus, and he's only identified to us as a leper, right? And, and there are a few things for us to note about that, although these things may seem obvious to many of us, uh, but, but a few things for us to, to note nevertheless. First, leprosy, it's, a, it's an infectious disease that can affect the nerves, it can affect the skin, it can cause blindness, so it can affect the eyes, it can affect uh, the lining of your nose as well. It, it's curable today if, it, if it's caught early enough, but if it's left untreated, the, the effects of leprosy, they can be, uh, the effects can be devastating. And so it's not, it's not a sickness, it's not a disease uh, that you would want to ignore. So that's the, the first thing about leprosy that we, we need to note. Uh, secondly, and as Christians we know this, but leprosy is a result of the fall. Okay, it wasn't something that God created in the garden and called good, right? It's a result of the first sin in the first garden. It's the result of living in a world that has been negatively impact, impacted by, by sin, by the sin of uh, the, the first people in the first garden, right? It's evidence of how sin latches onto things such as good health and grows and withers our very bodies. So while this person who has leprosy, it may not be, say, a, a judgment or a, a result of his personal sin, but it is the result of the first sin in the first garden. In other words, sicknesses and death and suffering, uh, disease, all of those things are a part of the curse that was brought in through, uh, into the world through the disobedience of, of Adam and Eve. Okay, so that's the second thing. Okay, sickness, disease, and the like are a result of the fall. Third, this would be a socially ostracizing disease to have, right? Not only was it contagious if you were to be overly exposed to it, but it was disfiguring, right? It would, it would deform your skin. It would deform your nose. It would deform your hands. It would deform your eyes, okay? And so you, to, to have leprosy really was a, a, such a, an isolating thing, to have, being isolated from the community that you were once a part of. And then the fourth and last thing that we need to note, and we're going to spend more time on this, I just kind of want to mention it here by way of introduction, but the disease, and, and, and again, this is critical for us this morning to understand, this disease made you ceremonially unclean, okay? It made you ceremonially unclean under the law of Moses. Okay, so remember for a minute the threefold division of the law. You got the moral law of God that is summarized in the Decalogue, summarized in the, 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 the Ten Commandments. You've got the civil 
laws which relate to the theocracy of Israel in the Old Testament as it related to to crimes and punishments. Um, And then you've got the ceremonial law uh, that was under the administration of Moses as well that had to do um, with uh, kind of the the way of of uh, of of being purified, and it had to do with the the worship of Israel as a nation as well. Okay, so just just flag that for now, and we're going to revisit that in a few moments. Okay, so so here we see this man who's a leper, and he approaches Jesus, and and he he comes to Jesus to be healed from his affliction. Okay, he comes to Jesus to be healed from. Uh, a terrible uh, suffering. And if you're, you're taking notes or if you're paying attention to the takeaways, the first thing that we, we want to see is that leprosy, it teaches us something about the holiness of God and the contagious nature of sin. Okay, leprosy, it teaches us something about the holiness of God and the contagious nature of sin. Okay, so we see through this, this, this disease, this terrible disease, a reminder that God can't dwell with that which is unclean. Okay, God can't dwell with that which is unclean. If we were to read the book of Leviticus, and I know that many of you have read the book of Leviticus, you should note that, that a central theme, perhaps the central theme, is how one approaches God. Right, if you're ever wondering what that book is about, okay, that's, that's what it's about. Right, that's also one of the reasons why we get bogged down in our Bible reading plans when we're reading Leviticus. We, we don't understand the significance and we don't understand the dangerous nature of entering into God's presence. We don't understand that. It's so foreign to us. Right. So the, the, big, the big question of Leviticus is this. How can sinful, broken creatures made from the dust approach our holy triune creator? That is the question that the book of Leviticus is seeking to answer. How can sinful, broken creatures made from the dust approach our holy triune creator? That, That seems like this just insurmountable thing. And for those of us who approach God casually or never given any consideration to this type of question, we would do well to spend more time in Leviticus, not less time in the book of Leviticus. So a homework assignment for you this morning. But Leviticus is is really the key to understanding the the significance of Jesus's encounter here with the leper. Okay, now I, I mentioned to you just a moment ago that, that leprosy under the law of Moses, it meant that you were ceremonially unclean. And, and we see that even addressed by Jesus after he heals the leper in verse 44, if you were to look back with me. And Jesus, he, he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. And here's where he addresses the ceremonial aspect here. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What do we see there in verse 44? Okay, so when, when Christ instructs the leper to offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded, he's referencing Leviticus. He's referencing particularly 
Leviticus chapter 13 and Leviticus chapter 14. And again, I'd encourage you to read that later today. Those, those chapters, they deal with ceremonial cleansing and they, they speak of everything from diagnosing the disease to quarantining of sick persons to the handling of garments of sick persons to purifying those who are healed, who are already healed. And, and this isn't for us to examine from a medical view uh, per se, but from, again, a ceremonial point of view. In other words, one of the primary concerns in these two chapters, and thus the book, is how one appears before God. Right? We, we don't appear before our triune God in an unclean state. We don't appear before him in an unclean state. So this issue of, of leprosy is teaching us about the holiness of God. And that may be strange to, to hear this morning. In fact, you may be asking yourself, why would a disease that, that, that you've contracted no fault of your own, why would that affect you being able to appear before God? And that's a good question. And that's a, a legitimate question to even ask. But note that the, 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 the reason that we have to ask that very question is because we don't understand the holiness of God and the devastation of sin. Not really. And, and while leprosy isn't a result of personal sin necessarily, we see things in these chapters in Leviticus that include things such as guilt offerings, and, and the leper being called unclean. In fact, the leper himself, he, he uses this, this idea, this language of unclean and clean when he asks Jesus to heal him. If you look back at the text, he says, if you're willing, if Christ is willing, you, Christ, can make me what? Clean. Clean. And we get that from a medical standpoint to some extent. Right? Certainly, the leper wants to be medically cured, but this has much more to do with moral uncleanness and cleanliness as, as we look at this through the ceremonial laws of Moses. And it's here with leprosy being considered unclean, us seeing in Leviticus the requirement of guilt offerings, the offerings Moses required upon being clean, and then to, to have leprosy according to the book of Leviticus, was to, to not be allowed to be in the presence of Yahweh. It was to not be able to come to the temple, to kind of be banished from that. And there were some prerequisites in order to enter back into the presence of Yahweh. In addition to being healed from the disease, there were certain purification things that needed to have happened before you could enter back into the presence of God. So that means for us that, that original sin, right, the, the sin of Adam, right, it, it has this cozy relationship with all of the sickness that we see, with all the disease that we see. It has a cozy relationship with death. Right? We know that death was entered into the picture upon the disobedience of Adam. It's a part of the curse. And our God who is holy, 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 does not associate with anything that has been affected by the curse in his deity. And I know that we want to we jump to Christ, but, but Christ, and we're going to get there, right? But, but we're establishing for us for just a moment the holiness of God and the fact that we don't understand it 
And that even something like sickness and disease and death, because it is a result of the first sin in the first garden, it's a result of sin, it cannot enter into the presence of God. And we get a snapshot of that when we take time to consider the ceremonial law that we see in Leviticus. So for us, a good point of meditation would be to allow our our pains, our sufferings, our diseases to, to remind us of that very thing, the holiness of God. All right, leprosy can teach us about the holiness of God. The leprosy, leprosy can also teach us about the contagious nature of sin. All right, we could go back to quarantine laws and even how garments were dealt with, again, in the, in the book of Leviticus. We could look at how the law was given to not touch a person who was unclean, which again, we know that someone who has leprosy is considered unclean. And we, we see this in Leviticus chapter 5. I'll read it just at verses 2 and 3 to you. If a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast, right? even the death of animals is a result of the fall, or whether it's the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he's unaware of it, when he realizes it, he shall be guilty. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Again, the, the, the very touching of that which is unclean makes one unclean makes one guilty. One theologian and commentator, Michael Morales, he put it this way. He said, ritual uncleanness served not only to bear witness to the widespread pollution of sin, but also by contrast to the infinite holiness of Israel's God and therefore to the need for cleansing as a prerequisite to enter into his presence. Fundamentally, a person declared unclean is one who is not allowed to appear in the presence of Yahweh or to take part in the divine service. So we see in the disease of leprosy here, not only the holiness and uncompromising condition of, of, of perfection in order to enter into God's unapproachable light, right? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. But we also see the contagious nature of sin illustrated to us, preached to us in sickness. In sickness, right? And the importance of that should be obvious, but, but why is that important? It's important because sin can't be ignored in our lives. Sin has to be addressed, Sin ignored is destructive to our soul. And not only is it destructive to to our own souls personally, but it spreads to the rest of the community. Again, in the the West, and and I've said this over the last several weeks, but it's good to be reminded of it. In the West, we, we tend to think of ourselves so individualistically, when in reality, we're not just individuals, we're a, a, a corporate, as Christians, we are a corporate people. And sin that's left unaddressed in our lives, not only does it dishonor God, not only is it bad for us, but it's bad for those close to us. It's contagious. Sin is contagious. Even our hidden sins, 
that we nurse in the, in the dark is contagious in the same way that going into the public with a fever, yet medicated on Tylenol or ibuprofen to mask it, is still contagious. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the contagious nature of sin, says in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 7, your glorifying is not good. He's dealing with a church, the church of Corinth, that was celebrating at worst this, the immorality of an individual, of a member in their church. They were celebrating it at worst because they were so influenced by pagan ideology and worldviews. At the very best, if we were to assume the very best of them, they were uh, just ignoring it, hoping that it would go away on its own. And so the Apostle Paul writes, and he speaks particularly into the situation, and he says, your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Okay, he's using leaven to speak about sin. A little bit of sin, it, it spreads, it's contagious. And this is, his, this is his instructions to the church of Corinth, right? And it's relevant for us today. Here's what we do about it. Purge out the old leaven. Purge it out that you may be a new lump since you're truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed to us. That's one of the reasons why we take unleavened bread for communion and to remember that Christ had nothing to do with being... He he was never sinful. Christ was not a sinner. And as his people, we don't want anything to do with sin either. We shouldn't want anything to do with sin. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So we see the dangerous nature of sin. We see the contagious nature of sin. John Owen, the Puritan, famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Right? Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So observation one is that leprosy, it, it teaches us about the holiness of God, it teaches us something about the holiness of God, right? From a ceremonial perspective, that that which is tainted by original sin. And by the way, we're all tainted by original sin, right? right? When, we, when we hold what we perceive to be a sweet little innocent baby in our hands and then we realize about a week into it, wow, how did it learn this selfishness? It did not have to learn to be selfish. The baby did not have to learn to be selfish, right? We're born selfish. We're born sinners, right? The, uh, King David says, uh, from in sin did my mother, what? Conceive me. Right? We sin, we commit actual sins, the sins that we observe in ourselves and our children because we have a sin nature, because we are born in sin. Right? And, so, and, and, and nothing has been beyond the reach of the curse, the first sin in the first garden. You look at everything that's wrong with the world and you can say, man, this is the result of, of the brokenness that was brought into the world through the disobedience of the one man. Right? But that, by God's grace, is not the end of the story, is it? And we know that because if we didn't know that, we should despair, right? There would be no hope because we know that there's one who's more powerful than the first Adam, the one that the Apostle Paul calls the second Adam in Romans chapter 5, who undoes, he, he, he unravels the, the, the curse, right? And he brings blessings where there the curse is. And so, but that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves this morning. 
The second thing, second observation that we should make is that worship, and we're looking at the leper now, worship produces in us, produces humility in us. Well, Mark tells us that a leper came to him, came to Christ, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If we were to look at Matthew's account, he records the leper's encounter with Jesus in this way, Matthew 8, 2, behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. the, The heart posture of the leper should be our heart posture, right? Note that the, the leper's worship, it came even before the healing event, right? It came before the healing event. Now, the leper asked to be healed, and that's good and a godly thing for him to have asked for, but him being healed, him being cleansed, it wasn't the ruling desire of his heart. The leper says, Lord, if you're willing, you can. So was it right to want to be healed? Absolutely. Right? Suffering's not good, right? God can use it for good, but it's not in and of itself good. And, and all of us this morning, right, we, we collectively bring hardships and sufferings and griefs, and it's good and it's right for us to pray for deliverance, but we can't allow our desires for the end of our sufferings to become the ruling desires of our lives. All right, what happens when that happens is that we become very self-centered or we become very embittered people, right? Every good desire that we have, it has to be subordinate to this overarching chief desire that we should, should display a desire for Christ to rule and reign over our hearts, all right, the leper here, he didn't come with demands. Nowhere in our text, nowhere in Matthew or Luke and the other accounts, do we see this man being consumed in bitterness. Nowhere is he he's shaking his fist saying, I don't deserve this. All right, he's, he's not demanding comfort for his life. And that's where many of us end up as we, we go through suffering and struggling through various things, even the very hard things. We think to ourselves that we shouldn't be having such a hard time or that we deserve better, or we equate or hang our happiness on the desire to be comfortable in life and then become again very, become again very entitled, very bitter, very cynical, and very defensive when we're not comfortable. And that's, that's not the way of the leper here. That's not the way of the leper. He worships. The leper worships, and his commitment to worship Christ is obvious by his perspective in the way in which he humbly approaches Christ. It's, it's obvious when he says, if you will, if you will, if the Lord allows. Right? The leper comes before Christ, right? he sees him as the Messiah, and he worships, and his request is framed or cushioned, if you will, by his worship. It's framed by his worship. In his contentment, he makes his request of the Lord. Right, that's humility. Right? Worship produces humility. And worship is humbling because it reminds us of a few things. And this is by no means exhaustive, but just a, 
a few perhaps top tier things that it reminds us of. It reminds us that we're not God first and foremost, right? We tend to practically operate as if we're God, but worship reminds us that we're not God, that we are creature, not creator, right? It reminds us what our primary purpose in life is, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him. It reminds us that we deserve to be banished from God's presence for all eternity, yet God came close to us in Jesus Christ. Worship gets our focus off of our circumstances, and it sets our minds on the things that are above, which are the things that matter most, which is where Christ is seated at God's right hand, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Worship allows us to experience the nearness of God and it comforts us. It comforts us. James chapter 4, verse 8. Worship allows us to bring our anxieties, our cares before the Lord, knowing that He does in fact care for us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Worship gives voice to our complaints in the form of lamenting. Right? If you ever thought, can you if you ever wondered, can I complain? about my present situation in a way that honors God, the answer is yes. It's just not called complaining. It's called lamenting. And most of the Psalms are full of laments, right? Complaints as unto the Lord, complaints in faith. So if you find yourself in in a cold or isolated or cruel or embittered place, trace it back to there being a worship disorder. You're treating yourself as God by letting lesser desires become the ruling desires of your heart. And you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. So we want to worship the only person who's worthy of our worship, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So worship produces in us humility, right Perhaps it would be better stated, rightly ordered worship produces in us humility. And then the last thing we see is that Christ's encounter with the leper, it teaches us that Jesus is compassionate and that he makes what's unclean clean. Right? The holiness of God, which we spent time on a few moments ago, man, this bringing these two pieces, the holiness of God and the compassion of Christ and his humanity to be able to touch what is unclean and make it clean. That's everything. That's everything. And it's here we need to bring up Leviticus again. Right? If we were to go back to Leviticus chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, what I read you just a moment ago, let me just read it quickly for you again. If any person touches any unclean thing, whether it's the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of, an un- of unclean creeping things, and he's unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled and he's unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. And it has to be harmonized with Christ's encounter with the leper. Jesus, verse 41 in our text, moved with compassion. I love that phrase. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, Probably the most beautiful of of sentences that leper ever heard. I am willing be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. 
and he was cleansed. I try to think as I'm reading that passage of Scripture, I wonder when was the last time that leper was touched? When was the last time he felt someone? And Christ here, it's not even climatic. He touches him. He touches him. I'm willing. Be cleansed. Be healed. And I'm comforted by the compassion of Jesus, by the nearness of Jesus. In his humanity, Christ was moved by the faith of the leper. In his deity, he healed the leper. Right? It's the compassion of Christ that changes this man. Right? Christ's compassion, it didn't leave this guy in his diseased, untouchable state. It changed him. Right? It's as we saw last week, and I've mentioned already, it's the reverse of something caused by the disobedience of Adam. It was a blessing that chased off an aspect of the curse. Right? Jesus, he, he moves toward the one who's unclean, something that a scribe, something that these religious leaders would have never done. Right? And he purifies the man, yet he himself, Christ himself, remains clean. He remains clean. Christ not only remained clean clinically, he remained ceremonially clean. And he, and he didn't circumvent the law of Moses in his cleansing of the leper, although his critics would accuse him of it. Right? We see in our text that Jesus instructs the leper after the cleansing to do all, we've already looked at it, all that Moses instructed. And the cleansing of Jesus here touching this man, it shows us first and foremost that the ceremonial law was always meant to direct us toward the one who is our eternal high priest. Right? Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the ceremonial law. Right? Secondly, it shows us that Christ in this role, he does far superior work than what the ceremonial law under Moses could do. Again, if you go back and read Leviticus 5, Leviticus 13, Leviticus 14, you will see the superior work. If you read the book of Hebrews, the preacher to the Hebraic church stresses this point over and over again as he props up for us Christ as our high priest. A couple of statements from some early church fathers, Origen says this, Why did he touch him? Why did Christ touch him? Since the law forbade the touching of a leper. He touched him to show him that all things are clean to the clean. All things are clean to the clean. Chrysostom, he says, he touched the leper to signify that he heals not his servant, he heals his Lord. For the leprosy did not defile his hand, but his holy hand cleansed the leprous body. And isn't this what Christ did for us spiritually? He did this for us spiritually. He cleansed us. He came. And he, by his spirit, he touched us who were unclean and he made us clean solely based on his person and work, right? Apart from Christ, we're lepers, spiritually speaking. We're lepers forever banished from the presence of Yahweh. But Christ, in his compassion, he purified us. And in doing so, he gave us his very righteousness and he presents us to the Father and we're welcomed, 
We're welcome, not because we had the capacity to heal ourselves, because we didn't, but because Jesus is such a glorious, faithful high priest for us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, that's all of us, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you. What? How? Present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In the doxology of Jude, Jude verses 24 to 25, I'll read this and I'll close us in prayer. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you, in what way? Faultless. Present you faultless. Because the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the reminder, God, through this disease, Lord, of of your holiness, the contagious nature of sin, and the fact that you have in Christ acted to cleanse us. And so we thank you that in your kindness you sent Jesus. We thank you that we have passages like this that remind us of the compassion of Jesus. And we give you all praise, all honor, and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.